And welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We apparently all got the pastel memo today, a special Easter episode. So yes. happy Easter to all of y'all. Happy Easter, everybody. We have a fun show for you guys today. We have some football to talk about. We got to see practice for the first time, I think, in over a year. So we have some observations to actually share with you guys. So excited to talk about that. I will give you some injury updates. We'll talk about the lead eight. It's crazy, Shotgun. We covered that on Tuesday. It seems like a <laughs> lifetime ago. Uh, but there's some basketball talk to be had if the boss man will allow it. So we'll see. We got we got a minute or so. Okay, you know, okay. They got, they got blown out, but I, whatever, you know. I was trying to find a clip of you saying that you wouldn't talk about the basketball team unless they made it to the Elite Eight. But I couldn't find it. But that was right. the rule. So we got to No, we, we were. And that, you know. I've talked about this before. People are like, oh, you hate the basketball team. Like, yeah. no, I want to see them actually do some third. They made a great run. Yeah, I get blown up by Gonzaga. But this was very impressive. So, yes, they get they get some time. Okay. Uh, they, they deserve some love, uh, the, the run that they made. Thanks for coming around, Ryan. The people were like, put some respect on the basketball team, Ryan. So, at least you, you're you're respecting them now. Well, I mean, when they go 14 and 16 and you hear they're going to be amazing the year before and they don't make the tournament, I'm like, okay, I don't need to talk about them that much. Okay. You make the Elite Eight, we can talk about them. You can call us. This is now four times in six years they would have made the tournament if there was a tournament last year. See, so there you I'm go. Yeah. There you I'm go. not blaming them for COVID, but I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. You can call <laughs> us. 5124-TUNNEL. Our intern, Micah, is standing by. We love hearing from you guys. You can also tweet at us. Hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. We are live on Facebook and YouTube, but not Periscope. R.I.P. This is the first episode without Periscope. <sighs> it's pretty crazy. So, that, so for the people that are listening... Periscope is not the Peristyle. The Peristyle podcast yeah. is our podcast. That's still going on. There is a platform called Periscope. There was. It is no longer there. It's now, it's been, I guess, uh, consumed by Twitter. I don't know if we can go just live directly on Twitter yet. I'm trying to figure it out with the people. Our Wirecast is the program we use to stream live. So right now we're only live on two channels, YouTube and Facebook, which works. That's where, you know, the majority of the people are. But there was a lot of, uh, you know, loyal Periscope listeners. Yeah. And uh, if you go to the Periscope.tv page, it's just, you can't do it. Who are you so. going to ignore now, Ryan, during the show? <laughs> <sighs> ignore you guys, maybe. Maybe, okay. I figured that was coming. Yep, yeah. exactly. I had to. One last time. RIP Periscope. Uh, but guys, like I said, spring ball is back. USC had its first full pad practice on Saturday. Shotgun, you and I were in, t- in attendance for that. Ryan, you were at Bosco. I was at a high school game. You were at yeah. a high, high school game. It was, it was 35 nothing in the first quarter. I probably should have just went to practice, but you know, whatever. Hey. You know, you, you got some you great have. highlights of some of the USC targets. Obviously, a couple of big runs for uh, Rayshon Luke, Speedy Luke, um, and, and Speedy some other Luke. guys. Yeah, he looked unfortunately like so. St. John Bosco scores in the very first play of the game. It wasn't to Rayshon Luke. Uh, the very third play of the game, they score again. It wasn't to Rayshon Luke. I'm like, oh god, it's going to get out of control, and Luke's not even going to touch the ball. But I think the th- I believe it was the third touchdown. They just handed him the ball, and he ran it in for a touchdown. And 
he had a kickoff return for a touchdown too. So it, he got some touches, just not a ton. Like if it was a, if they're playing like Servite or Modern Day or something, there would probably have been some more back and forth. This was pretty much a one-sided just shellacking. And this is Jay Sarah. You know, they got Mason Murphy plays left tackle for them, USC commit. Uh, Pat Harlow, I believe, is the head coach there. I mean, this is usually a legit team, and they just it didn't look like the same sport like that what they were playing. It was just crazy. Like there's some there's some halves and some nots in high school football in Southern California, and like St. John Bosco is definitely one of the halves. They yeah. are. If you don't get enough uh, transfers in the training league, you're going to be in trouble each year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Walken said Periscope is going to get the same exact amount of questions asked as before. <laughs> Mark. Well done, Mark. That was pretty funny. I had to say it. You're a double secret probation now, Mark. <laughs> double secret probation. <laughs> okay, so like I said, spring camp. Ryan, you were there for Tuesday. Yes. For a little bit. I don't know how I long you were. I didn't stay for the whole thing because I ended up getting my uh, first uh, shot in the arm. So um, Congrats I'm, I'm a half-vaxxer Half-vaxxer. Well done. <laughs> uh, but you'll get to check it. I mean, it was really neat. You guys were at the first spring practice last year. I was at a speaking event in San Diego with Jake mm -hmm. Olson. So I didn't get to see the first spring practice. Turned the, out to be the, the last. The only? <laughs> the only. Yeah. Uh, then it was over. You know, it was just it was really kind of weird. And this was... It was different. It was a different experience, you know, just being on campus. Even people that work on campus aren't normally on campus. You know, I've talked to professors. To, like, they haven't been on campus for, like, a year. A lot of people, like, their plants are dead. Like, if they didn't bring their monitor home. Like, I mean, they really, they haven't been back at all. So they are limiting who can be there. You know, we talked to, like, Tim Teslow, the, you know, sports information director. And he's there on a limited basis if there's an event, you know, if there's a game that they have to cover. Um, so having the practice stuff, they really put a lot of thought into how this is going to work. And yeah. so it was interesting. Uh, we're up in that perch uh, at the aquatic center. So you're kind of seeing things from high above uh, the practice field. It's a different vantage point. How did you feel about that? I want both of your opinions on that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's some good, like you get to see a different part of it. Like you can see the offensive linemen better. You could see some of the running backs and you can see like the tight ends. Like they're, the tight ends are actually kind of close to the wall. So sometimes it's a little harder to see, but usually we would see things on way on the other side of the field. They do let you film a portion. The problem is no one was, I don't know about Saturday, but when we, when we were allowed to film, nobody was near us. They were over a hundred yards yeah. away on uh Brian Kennedy field. You guys got a much cooler drill to, to start with, but you know, it's, it's a different vantage point. Make sure you bring your binoculars. Yeah. You got to bring your your notepads and stuff. But, you know, I'm glad that they're letting us. They didn't have to open practice to yeah. the media. It's two days a week instead of three, whatever. But it's we're getting something out of it. And, and the observations we can make, I think it's great. Chris Catrino has done an amazing job putting up the ghost notes. Make sure you check that out on the site. If you're not VIP to uscfootball.com, you definitely should be. You can do it for a buck, for a dollar. You can a be VIP. Buck. Come on and go read his notes. Awesome notes uh, of what's going on in practice. So, vantage point, you know, it's it's a little different, but I'm just happy to be able to be out there, like you said, and uh, be talking about USC football in person with our own eyes, watching it again. Shotgun, your thoughts? I'm a huge fan of the perspective, uh, just because it's the eye in the sky perspective to an extent. So, you know, I, I love watching, you know, being able to look at the offensive linemen and be able to see kind of how things develop on a play. Um, if you want, if you're paying spe specific attention to the left tackle position or something like that, where sometimes that can get lost when you're trying to see it from uh, ground level, especially when they're doing team drills and the team is moving along the sideline. You know, you have the defense on one side and they're moving. You're trying to 
peek around defensive players that are 6'4", 300 pounds or something like that. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a different vantage point, and I like it because we're getting a different perspective on some of the coaches as well because, you know, they just they, they have their own spots for, you know, specific um, position groups. And so now we're hearing a little bit more of Mike Jinks coaching. We're hearing a little bit more of Graham Harrell's individual coaching. I think the you can hear a little bit more uh, because normally the position drills are kind of away from the old media pin. Everything's kind of spread out. Now we're down where some of those drills are taking place. So just getting a chance to hear them. And I didn't pay as much attention on Saturday to the offensive line, but that's something I definitely will be watching just to kind of you know, get a feel of Clay McGuire as an offensive line coach because that's a group that we normally do not get to see or hear much from at all because they are the farthest away from our normal media mm -hmm. pen. So definitely going to be you know taking advantage of that opportunity to, to listen to him and see how he's coaching up the players as well. Yeah. And it's a big group of offensive linemen. So we're watching them. I mean, we're, we're watching the group. I'm like, okay, I'm writing down some of the numbers. Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? I'm like, oh, a couple of guys are missing. I'm like, no, there's a whole second group of them. There was like 19 or something offensive linemen, at least on Tuesday when we were watching. So it's a big group. That's the first thing I noticed is like, this looks like as far as spring practice goes, sometimes you're like, oh, there's only a couple of this position or only a couple of that. It looked like there was pretty deep in most of the positions. You know, some of them are walk-ons for sure, but there's a lot of dudes uh, out there. So more than like, I think we would normally see because, you know, everyone could come back. They got 14 newcomers that are adding, you know, and you didn't really, you know, you lost the seven guys uh, to the NFL and, you know, Pallier and you know, to, you know, transfer to. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty stacked uh, group. There's a lot of bodies out there. And before we go any further, I just want to wish Keely you a happy birthday because it was thank her you. birthday yesterday. So thank you, thank you. The, the YouTube top. chat is very uh, is it very celebratory. So thank you, I appreciate all you. Mark had another uh, good good observation in there. Since uh, you should be the exact same age, since all the NCAA players get an extra year. See, what's, you shouldn't advance your age this year. What's funny is my roommates made a poster sign that said "Happy 25th again, Keely." So, <laughs> so I'm 25 still. I'm not 26 I like yet. That. I so. turned 50 during the pandemic. I should still be 49. Exactly. I, I like still, it. Got, still got a year. We can throw a big party for you for your. 50. But then I couldn't get the the vaccine, so that I get like a <laughs> oh, okay. The threshold so just finagle it for your benefit. Yes, but thank you guys. I see it. You guys are very uh, uh, nice. So thank you for that. But okay, back to the offensive line. Uh, shotgun, it looked like Cortland Ford got the main reps at left tackle. You had an eye on Casey Collier as well. What did you see from the offensive line? Yeah, one of the things that Clay Helton said is that, you know, those two guys are going to get the, you know, some left tackle reps. And the question that Keely and I had on instant analysis yesterday was, Maybe they're rotating each day who gets the first team reps, and maybe we just didn't see Casey Collier with the first team group on Thursday because that practice is not open to the media. So we're going to see this week if maybe he gets the reps on Tuesday and Saturday and we don't see Cortland Ford there and we see him with a second. We'll see how that kind of plays out. But right now, Cortland Ford got the first team reps, the two practices we were able to attend. Casey Collier working with the second group. I think Casey Collier, the way he can move right now and the fact that he's added on 25, 30 pounds – is, you know, there's a lot of potential there. Now, Clay Helton talked about him and raved about his potential as well. You know, said that he was kind of a uh, a baby Bambi uh, previously. You know, that he was just... A big baby deer. Big baby deer, but he also called him Bambi at one point. Uh, that he was trying to just get his feet underneath him and, and try to learn how to move his body. And that's something you see... Now, he's added the weight this offseason, but that's something you see. That was something that Austin Jackson went through because he was 260, 265 in high school, and it was, by, it was 300 by the time he was playing as a freshman. So, it, it, And I've talked to him about it previously, about how it takes a little bit of time to adjust getting used to having that extra weight and how your body's going to move a little bit differently. So I think that Casey Collier is going through that a little bit, but he moves fantastic. He's got a great body. He's got great arm length. 
If he gets the technique down, he has a ton of potential there. And the same thing with Cortland Ford. He was a guy that, that was, you know, had a bunch of big-time offers initially. There was some rumors about a knee injury. You know, his father even came on the P to say that those were not true. So USC picks him up uh, later in the cycle. And, you know, he, he's been a guy that they've been very impressed with. And he's uh, those two guys are competing for that left tackle position rather than USC moving a Jalen McKenzie, rather than moving a, an Andrew Voorhees or Liam Jimmins or somebody who has more experience. I think that that tells you a lot about the the potential they see in those two guys that they're going to put those and give them the first opportunities at left tackle this spring and we'll see where it goes from there are you surprised by that at all because i know i think graham harrell mentioned they're going to do some mixing and maxi- matching just trying to see who the best five are out there but then it seems like they've kind of narrowed it down already i know it's the first week so we'll see but it seems like it's more uh narrowed down than we initially thought what I think maybe is that this first week is the baseline. All right, let's establish a baseline. We know what these other four guys can do at their positions. Let's now throw in Cortland Ford with, with them and see where we're at. Now, the next week, maybe we mix it up and we move some guys around and, and start comparing it to that first week now that we have the baseline of a group without Elijah Vera Tucker. So maybe that's the strategy. It, it's going to be an interesting development just as the spring practice goes on if they start actually switching it up and doing a lot of rotation and changing. You know, if Jalen McKenzie gets some left tackle reps, if you see guys flipping on each side of the line, because right now, and I think that's also a product of a new offensive line coach, is he needs to see where his guys are at. And he needs to see what they can do at the positions that they're used to. And then we'll see if we start moving and trying some different things out. Because I think that you saw all the returners were pretty much in the same spots. You look at the second team, you know, Justin Dejas is at center. And we know he can play some guard. We didn't see him play any of that. You know, Liam Douglas at at one of the guard positions. You know, it was a lot of the same guys were in the same positions from last fall and even, you know, the the spring coming into that. So I I think you are establishing a baseline. And now... The question will be how much rotation and how much mixing and matching do we see? I talked to Harvey Hyde last week about it. And he said he he wanted to do exactly what they've done. Keep everyone else where they are and then try out someone new at the left tackle spot. You did, you know, last year you were able to have, you had a, you know, a perfect move you could make with Elijah Vera Tucker that maybe not everyone knew it was a perfect move, but it turned out being uh, great for USC. Not sure. Like, it, I, I don't think it's going to be as strong. Like he was you know, locked down at left guard. But, you know, the potential, the high potential at left tackle. Everyone else, I think they're probably good where they are now. So I'd be curious to see the next week or two, do they move some dudes around? You know, the first time when they moved Elijah Vera Tucker out there, he just stayed there. My gut feeling is because they didn't move him at the beginning, they're probably going to keep him there. But like Shotgun said, you have a new offensive line coach, so anything is... uh, possible but hey Kelly, real quick could you do me a favor yes i know you're watching the angels game and uh, you know otani's out there uh, pitching and <laughs> no I'm, yeah. not, I'm fully focused right no, no i know you're i'm not i've never suggested that <laughs> there's a picture of hunter eccles would you mind putting them up on the screen yes. real quick because uh you know lc eccles hunter's dad is a a big fan of the show and he's on the show all the time he sent me a message today. It's his mother, so Hunter's grandmother's 94th birthday today. So we're going to wish her a happy birthday. So. Happy birthday. So we put a picture of her son up there. So that's, I mean, her grandson, yeah. There you go. So I. Hey, shouts to the April birthdays, early April yeah. birthdays. Sorry, I didn't mean to, I've, I've derailed the show like five times. But no, you know, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. And calling me out at the same time. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> um, as far as quarterback play goes, Shotgun, you and I talked about it on instant analysis. If, there's no doubt that Keenan Slovis is QB1, but we saw some rotation as far as who's going to get second team. Uh, reps. What did you see from the quarterbacks? I mean, I'm curious to see what Ryan's opinion is uh, of Keaton Slovis, but my thought was that Slovis 
looked like Keaton Slovis, which I think is a very, uh, you know, a big positive for, for USC. He looks like he's back to where he was before. You know, obviously we didn't get to see practice last year, so we didn't see if, you know, everything was going smoothly in practice and then suddenly in the games there were some issues. Um, so I, I think that seeing him in practice and seeing, you know, the, the normal, you know, making the throws, those type of things, I think that's a positive sign for USC. The freshmen are battling with Mo Hassan. It was a straight-up rotation as far as the Saturday scrimmage period that they had, um, you, you know, the team period where each each uh, quarterback rotated. Keen Slovis won the first team, and then it was a different quarterback each time with the second group, and then back to Slovis, and then the new guy could come in the second group. Um, and I, I thought the freshmen held their own. They were kind of – meh is not the right word because that's, that's probably too negative. I thought they were fine. I didn't, they didn't stand out and jump out and go, whoa, wow, look at this guy. But it's the first practice in pads, so I wasn't expecting them to do that either. I would say if I was just rating that one practice, I would say Jackson Dart had a little bit better practice than Miller Moss because Miller Moss got picked off twice on two very nice plays uh, by number sixes. Now, I thought it was ITS on, on one of them in one-on-ones. Chris Torino uh, had it as Joshua Jackson making both the interceptions. Um, so it, it's a little bit confusing right now with two number sixes out there and you know when they're far away trying to pick out which body type it is and whatnot. So uh, Josh Jackson had a tremendous interception uh, moving over to cornerback on a deep ball. They laid out flat for it. There's a couple of picks as well of that. Um, on the site as well right now. But, you know, I thought that Jackson Dart made a couple of throws, and, and he's going to make a couple of throws, I think, where you go, wow, look at that throw. There was one rollout where you hit a guy kind of uh, walk on, falling out of bounds. And, you know, it was also a very nice catch on the play. And I, um, I apologize to the walk on for not remembering which one it was at this point. But, um, you know, the type of throw where you put it where only your guy can get to it. And he made one of those or two of those on, on Saturday. And Miller Moss was just pretty consistent. And outside of the interceptions, he looked pretty. He looked fine as well, but neither one of the guys really stood out necessarily to me. Mm -hmm. Since you mentioned it, I'm just going to jump into it. The two number sixes on defense. I thought that was an interesting development there because I feel like Isaac Taylor Stewart took a step forward, at least from what we've seen on Saturday. And then Josh Jackson uh, becoming a cornerback. That looks like a positive development there. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know if you want to jump in. No, yeah. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, that's one surprise that, you know, he moves over to the defensive side of the ball and shows off his receiver skills. I think we do have a picture of that up there if you want to put it, Keely. Mm -hmm. But, you know, getting that uh, interception, like Shotgun said, off of uh, of Miller Moss, they're not going to both be able to wear that number and play the same position. So that's going to change at some point. Um, so, it, it, you know, Todd Orlando was seemed very positive uh, about it. What you know, the development you know that he's made and uh, at that spot, they're really deep at the cornerback spot. So it, it's kind of interesting, you know, that there's a lot of DBs uh, on the roster right now. So I'm not really. It's, it's an interesting move for sure. But if he feels comfortable there, he's obviously going to be you know making some plays. Um, so you know, kudos to him. But yeah, they're they're not going to both be able to wear number six for too long. I don't know how long that's going to last. I, I think I would disagree with you. I don't think they're deep at cornerback. I think they're deep at defensive back. Defensive back, yeah. There's okay. a lot of guys that can play the nickel spot. There's a lot of safeties. You know, you're bringing in Xavion Alford. You're bringing in Zamarian Gordon, Kalen Bullock. Those guys are all there. You bring back Chase Williams, Max Williams, Isaiah Polamal, you know, Greg Johnson when he gets healthy. Um, I, I think the fact that Joshua Jackson is getting so much time right now, it shows you how thin the the cornerback, you know, uh, depth is because – 
The number three guy right now is Jaden Williams, and he's going up against Drake London, and that's a very tough matchup for anyone. And Drake London's making him look silly a couple times. Um, you know, I, I, because part of it is Chris Steele is not was not at practice this week. Uh, there were four or five guys that were out because of COVID protocols, uh, and Chris Steele was one of those guys. So that was extra opportunities for Joshua Jackson. I think he stepped up and, and made some plays there. But I don't think it's too deep as far as cornerbacks. I think it is especially for defensive backs, though, which is why you've seen a guy like Colum uh, Kalana uh, Makala make the move to a linebacker. So, you know, that's because they're so deep in those interior DBs. That Jaden Williams Drake London matchup or battle was really interesting just to watch because they were so feisty and Jaden loves talking a little bit, a little bit of trash talk, but then they were, it was kind of chippy, but then they settled down. They, the last one on one rep, they shook hands before they went off against each other. So I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I, no, well, first off, uh, uh, before we move on, Drake London destroyed Jaden Williams on, on a play after the catch so much. How often do you ever hear the coaches yelling at the offensive players, keep him up, keep him up, <laughs> because he took on, you know, Jaden Williams came over, tried to give him a little pop, and Drake, and Drake was not going to have it. He popped back and sent uh, Jaden Williams flying. Um, so that's the, the tough battle when you're going up against a Drake London, a Brew McCoy, or a Kyle Ford, those type of receivers. You're going to have your work cut out for you, and if you try to pop them a little late um, in a one-on-one drill, just kind of send a message, they might pop you back. Yeah. Well, wait till Brew McCoy comes back. You never know. Who said he's not afraid to truck someone? Someone said that in the pressers this week. They're like, uh, Brew McCoy's not afraid to truck someone, so he's my inspiration. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, that's true. We've seen that. Uh, now, as far as guys who've gotten more opportunities just because of the COVID protocols, uh, one guy we highlighted yesterday, Shotgun, was Raymond Scott. What did you see, what did you see from him on Saturday? Pick six. You know, mm -hmm. uh, talked about this in an instant, but Raymond Scott, when he's on the field, he makes plays. Now he's not always in the right place, and he's not, you know, he, he doesn't, he isn't making, doing every fundamental thing right, uh, and I think that's the part where he needs to be coached up still, and that's part of, you know, moving from linebacker to safety back to linebacker. But when he's on the field, he's he's just a playmaker, and that we've seen that from from day one when we saw him in high school, and it's why we loved watching this kid and seeing him perform because he goes out there and he makes plays. You saw him in that Arizona game when Pelia Naitiote goes down with a head injury, and you know he jumps in there and he gets a sack, and you know he causes another another play. Um, you know he he just is. When he's in there, he makes things happen, and that's the type of guys that you love seeing on the field. That's the, you know, that's the Clay Matthews, that's the Scooby Wrights of the world, guys that you know don't necessarily fit the full bill as far as what you look at for a player at that position. But just all the time, you look up and like, well, there's there's Raymond Scott making another play, and you know this uh, on Saturday, a ball was thrown. It was not a very good throw, and he took advantage of it, caught it, took it the other way for a pick six. Now. Before we're getting a lot of questions, so I don't want to double up. But before we go into a caller and then questions, anything else stand out to you guys before we move on? So when I got to practice on Tuesday, the other beginning is a little bit different. You do have a new strength and conditioning coach there, usually running the stretching parts, uh, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And you know, there's, a, I guess, a little bit difference. You know, not too much to the beginning of practice, but for your Saturday practice, it looked like there was a significant difference to the uh, first period after the stretching. So I don't know if you want to like chat about that a little bit. The that Trojan drill, I believe. It's like a modified Oklahoma drill. Um, and in the morning presser with Clay Helton, he kind of teased it a little bit. He was yeah. like, there's a fun drill we're going to do that I think the, the kids are excited about and you guys will be excited to watch. And it was it was intense. It was it was a lot of energy from USC. Uh, I, most energy I've seen in a while from USC. Granted, I haven't been there in a while, so I don't know if that's a good... Uh, 
example there, but um, just very physical. I know Chris Trevino and I turned to each other and we're like, the pair style would like this. Like we weren't <laughs> able to to film it, unfortunately, but I was like, they would really like this just because I think it's something that they are clamoring for, you know, physicality. So uh, I think it's a it, it set the tone definitely for the day. Well, there was there's been talk of physicality, right? That yes. we would say that hey, they're they're talking about this, they're talking about that. Todd Orlando talking about. They can't wait till the pads come on, but to actually see it and actually go out and be physical, that, that was, I think that's a positive sign for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought the physicality carried throughout the entire day, and maybe it stems from that drill, and that's something Clay Helton said, that hopefully you know, that energy will carry over. Um, but I thought it was a spirited practice, and I thought it was a physical practice. And maybe now there's probably some recency bias of not having seen a practice in so long, a padded practice. Sure. Um, you know, It's been a year and a half now since we've seen that. But and also being much closer than we were at the games and whatnot. But I think that it's important. And Todd Orlando talked about how the spring is about building the culture. And they didn't have that opportunity last year because uh, of the, the COVID shutdown. And then going into the fall, he said, hey, we wanted to try to build culture and we try to you know be really hard and physical the first two weeks. And then you start worrying you know, we, we got to have a team because you are going to get injuries if you practice like that and you, yeah. you know, you do drills like that. That type of drill is not done very often in college football anymore. And there's a reason because you get injuries out of it. But I think it was huge for USC to start out with this and you saw the carryover from it. And I think it's something that, you know, if you're trying to build a culture, now maybe it's six or seven years too late to start doing this. But if you're trying to build a culture with the defensive staff is definitely trying to do, I think it was huge for them. And it sets the tone for the day. It sets the tone for spring camp and hopefully for on beyond that. I think that they, they're Bobby Steiner and the boys uh, in the strength and conditioning <laughs> Why staff. Why is that your phrase? Because it's great. Bobby Steiner and the boys. Bobby Steiner and the boys. Uh, are, are doing a great job from everything we're hearing as far as creating the competition, you know, and the, all the culture pieces that, that you're looking for from your strength and conditioning staff. But it has to actually take place on the field, and it starts with physical, and it starts with competition, and that's what the you know the Trojan drill is all about: being physical, having the competition where you need to beat your guy one on one and go make a play. And you saw the spirit from the players, and it carried throughout the the entire practice. So I think it was great. I thought it was a tremendous move from the coaching staff to start with that drill for their first padded practice to start camp that way. Now you have to continue it. You know, it can't just be a one-time thing yeah. where you, you went hard and, and on one Saturday practice and then you let up the rest of the time. And, hey, they suffered an injury on Saturday. You know, that you may suffer an injury or two. It, I think it, with the numbers that they have now, the fact that you're going to bring back more players because everyone has extra eligibility, you got to sacrifice the potential of having a guy injured or two uh, for the potential of having a more physical team, a, a team that has the mentality of being physical all the time, which has not been the case at USC, but it, it seems to be moving, trending in that direction. We'll see if it continues. Honestly, the further we get away from it, the more I'm impressed by what the defensive staff was able to do in 2020, just because of they couldn't really install. Obviously, they didn't have a spring camp, and Todd Orlando talked about it more, uh, like Shotgun said, this Thursday. Uh, just, he said it was it was a unique challenge for him because in the pre-March press conference before spring camp in 2020, they talked about physicality, how hard it's going to be. And he's like, you only get one shot to do that. You can't just come back and be like, hey guys, we need to go harder after you were soft for a season. So it's such a unique challenge in the fact that it's it appeared like the defense was more united, uh, hit harder, uh, and tackled better in uh, 2020. 
mean? So to do that with this split fall camp where you're half putting in, like installing toughness, but also gain, getting ready for Arizona State, I thought it was an interesting uh, window into the challenge he had uh, uh, last season. Yeah, and I think with Orlando, I, I like. I feel like he's a straight shooter. Yeah. I think you know. I think Clancy Pendergast would tell you what he's thinking too. Yeah, he did. Um, but I like. I just like what Todd Orlando says. Uh, I feel like if he was hired by Nick Saban to be the defensive coordinator. He probably wouldn't feel the need to like install like a different culture. Like the culture is working pretty well there. Identifying like, hey, the culture around USC it wasn't working. It was. It needs to be more physical. It needs to be tougher. You have to add that sense of toughness. Um, and I feel like he addressed that. And like you said, props to him for being able to kind of figure out, hey, this is what we got to do. Yeah. We don't have any time to do it. So how do you do this? He. It made sense to me that you had four weeks to get ready for the season. That's not the time to change the culture. Like, you got to get ready for the season. He said spring is that's when you'd want to do it. So not having that opportunity, you know, it made sense. Like, if you know, you might not be a football expert, but, you know, you're listening. I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I get what you're saying. No, um, you're trying to, like, make this team tougher, but you're also got a game. You're doing game planning and, and teaching them the, the ins and outs of this defense and everything. So I, I think there's... You know, we talked about the step up from year one to year two with with Graham Harrell at the offense. Um, you know, sorry, my, Alexa. my Alexa's going off right now. Yeah, <laughs> I got to figure out a way to turn it off. But Todd Orlando, I feel like the defense is going to make that step up from uh, year one to year two, and it was it was still impressive in year one. But I think they're going to get better in year two. And I, and I thought Orlando said, you know, was was completely honest about it. He said, "We talked a big game, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, with the the players saying we're, we're going to come in, we're going to be physical, and you got to practice this way each day in and day out. And they couldn't necessarily back it up because the spring was canceled after one practice, which is not a padded practice. And then you get into the the season, you try to start. And it, one thing that I thought was interesting is he said. He thinks this spring will pay dividends in fall camp next year because he doesn't he doesn't think if the, if they do things right and they do things and things work out the way they want and they build that culture this spring they don't have to spend two weeks doing it later in the fall they yeah. can spend a week on that just kind of sharpening the sword is the way he put it and, and hardening the players back up and then they can actually start you know planning for opponents and and get into more of the actual game planning stuff rather than fixing the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to jump into our caller, and then I'll jump into questions. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, Tunnel Vision. Dave from Iowa. I'm once again happy birthday, Keely. Thank um, you. First off, I just want to say uh, I just want to uh, thank Gerard for breaking the transfer news. Um, in the beginning, I thought it was a joke since you know the expected need was uh, an offensive lineman, but I guess you know jokingly. I guess Graham Harrell's going to put the 5'10", 170 wide receiver out at left tackle since, you know, he, he's going to be the guy of the transfer portal. No need to disrespect him. But so the one thing I wanted to talk about is just curious, all the transfers that we've or, uh, come out, uh, that we've gotten out of the portal, aside from the one D tackle, it's mainly been skill position players and then the, the safety. Um, I'm just curious if kind of Clay Hilton and – Mike Bone, so to speak, is on the same pitch as all these NFL teams on, hey, skill position players, let's go for them. They're going to sell tickets. However, I don't think they realize that in college football, winning games sells tickets. Winning sells tickets. And you know, you know, you know how you win? Starts off with the offensive line. So can you explain to me why we didn't get a, a, an offensive line transfer? 
I got this one. Sure. <laughs> because they're very hard to get. Um, and I think that's the simple answer. You know, it's a lot easier to get a wide receiver because you can put four of those on the field. You put five of those on the field. You know, you can show and say, hey, look, this is the offense you're going to be in. And you can grab a guy from a lower level and bring him up like a, like a Taj Washington. Uh, similar with Katie Nixon. He's seen what the USC offense can do. You know, he's watched Michael Pittman go off for, I think it was like 180 or 200 yards against Colorado. Whereas an offensive lineman, they, the high-end offensive linemen are, are only in the portal for usually like a week and a half or two weeks because people are going after them and recruiting them hard initially because they're so rare, because offensive linemen is such a development position that when you see someone go in that has been developed already, and that's kind of what the transfer portal has become is like, do we want to you know, go after, you know, that three-star guy and think we can develop him in over a couple of years, or can we get a proven guy? Well, offensive lineman, if you can see what has already been done, you know, there's just not a ton of guys. It's not like the uh, the portal is just, you know, there's a slew of high-end offensive linemen, away, uh, you know, sitting there waiting for someone to come get them, and USC is just not recruiting them. They are recruiting offensive line. They're still trying to get an offensive lineman, and they will still be looking for that, you know, especially as the, the spring period goes along and maybe someone feels like they're not getting the love or they're not getting the start position they want. If an offensive lineman goes in there, USC will be on that track as well. Um, but you, you can't say, well, besides the defense tackle and besides the safety, all they're getting is skill positions. No, they're attacking needs. I think the defense tackle was huge for them because of the loss of, of Jay Tufele and Marlon Tuipelotu. And safety, losing Talano Hufunga. They went out and identified those. They have identified offensive line as a position of need as well. They are trying to get an offensive lineman. They have not been able to do it so far. Now, that's I think the, the part of that is because of how rare they are in the, in the portal, and USC hasn't shown uh, with this offense, it hasn't been an offensive lineman's dream in, in recent, and you got a new offensive line coach. There's a lot of factors into it, but it all boils down to there aren't many of them, and USC is trying to get one. And I would say overall, there, there's 19 offensive linemen on scholarship right now, so it's not like they haven't recruited offensive linemen. you got a ton of dudes. There's nine defensive tackles on scholarship right now, they would like to bring in a left tackle. That's probably not a good sign for some of the guys that are on there if you already have 19 offensive linemen and you still want to bring in a, a transfer. Uh, but like Shotgun said, when you have a new offensive line coach, I talked to Ernest Green, say John Bosco's uh, left tackle. He's a, you know going to be one of the top offensive linemen for the class of 2022. Um, you know He had a relationship with Tim Drevno. He talks to Vianney Talamaivao. He told me, you know he talks to Clay Helton. He's just building up his relationship with the new offensive line coach, uh, Clay McGuire. So same thing if you're going to try to bring in a transfer. It's not easy, like Shotgun said. Plus, you have a new offensive line coach. But they already have a ton of dudes. You're acting like they don't have any offensive linemen on the team. There's a lot of offensive linemen already. Um, and that's part of the problem, too. And I think people underestimate, I know you guys have highlighted on this, but how hard it is to get a top tackle when you don't even have a coach yet? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that was uh, an issue at the time. So Yeah, they missed out on a guy like Wanya Morris exactly, from, from yeah. Tennessee who, like I said, he was in the portal for like a week and a half, and then he chose Oklahoma, and USC didn't have an office line coach at that time or just hired Clay McGuire, maybe in the middle of, of him being it the was, portal? It was right after, Okay, I so, I mean, that, it's very difficult to, to pull those type of players because they're so rare and they're so coveted. You know, a, a team like Oklahoma, who sees itself as a you know a college football playoff contender, they're the teams that are going to, going to be able to get those high end guys first. They're going to have first selection if they have an opening because you can say you can sell them on you know being in the college football playoff, which is what a guy like Wanya Morris or someone who is a talented tackle that is playing somewhere else 
and maybe their team's not doing so well, and they may say, all right, this is my chance to go and play uh, for a, a contender, and that's when you make the jump. Let's jump into questions. We have a lot, which is exciting. That shows that football is back. Let's start off yeah. with a question from Ulao Lao on YouTube. He says, has a player caught your eye yet? I mean, I think the easy one for me is Joshua Jackson. Yeah. Um, super fluid. He's showing the wide receiver skills at cornerback. So that one definitely stood out to me, especially because of the confusion of two numbers. I was like, that's not Isaac Taylor Stewart. And what, oh, yeah, Joshua Jackson made the move over, um, which give him a new number already. Like, it's, you're not going to be able to do it during the season. Why not just go ahead and make the switch now? Um, but, you know, I thought that he, he's looked really good there. Now, Chris Trevino and I have seen him play cornerback in high school at Narbonne. Uh, he didn't get a ton of balls thrown at him. So wasn't necessarily expecting the playmaking ability that we've seen out of him so quickly. And I think it's a, a positive sign that, you know, when you get Chris Still back, uh, you bring in Prophet Brown, you bring in Sierra Wright, there's going to be a lot of competition there rather than it just being Chris Steele and Isaac Taylor Stewart, which is kind of the way it kind of looked like it was going to be coming into the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't Ryan? seen enough yet, but maybe like because we were there right in front of us, like Brandon Campbell was, uh, you know, he looked pretty interesting out there. So I'm curious, can be curious to watch. How he does, I don't know what you guys thought of him uh, from the padded practice, but, you know, just doing the, the early running back drills, I'm like, okay, this dude looks like he can play. He had a nice run, a TD run, where he took a draw and uh, there was very patient. There wasn't anything there initially, and he kind of bounced it to over one gap and was able to take off upfield and was untouched, basically, on, on the touchdown run. He's had a couple other where he's bounced, you know, and he's made some plays out of it. That's something he's going to have to learn that he can't do all the time. Uh, he's a little reliant on that right now. Um, but, you know, I think that you see that there's there's potential there. Also, Keontae Ingram made a couple guys miss on a swing pass on, on Saturday too. So you're seeing that, that, that again, that, that position is going to be talented. It's going to be up to those older guys to, to stave off the, those younger ones. Shogun, you kind of already touched on this, but uh, Tito asked, what can you see from practice? Which tackle impressed you most, most more so far, Ford or Collier? Uh, you know, I, I didn't really focus on both of them the entire time, um, but I, I was impressed with a couple plays that I watched of Casey Collier. I think he's still raw. I, you know, I did see him get beat once around the edge, but I also saw one play where there was a stunt attempt, and he just cl completely cleared out a guy, basically threw him over to where the right tackle started the play um, from the left side. You know, a guy tried to go inside, and he just destroyed him going inside. So that's the ability he has. He, he has good feet, and he moves pretty well. I thought Jonah Monheim also, there was a couple plays that I saw him getting outside on some screen passes, some flares, and getting out and, you know, moving his feet, getting out wide. So, you know, there's some positive signs from that group. Again, I don't know that you want that to be the guy that you have to go to, you know, a true fresh or not a true freshman, a second-year freshman. Um, COVID shirt. Yeah. I, I, and for college baseball, we call them second-year freshman or third-year sophomore. So I guess I'm going to have to stick with that. Uh, but, yeah, second-year freshman, still not much playing time, not much opportunity to necessarily improve a ton. But also the weight gain. You know, there's another question. Someone said, if you notice anybody's bodies who noticeably changed, and that was one of the guys that stood out to me. You can see these a little bit heavier. So, you know, we'll see – how that that matchup and uh, you know the the depth position that that battle you know plays out, but I, I think there's some positive signs from the first week. Yeah, the whole body thing, real quick. It's tough. We usually would able to be right at the top of the ramp and take pictures and video, and that was a great vantage point to see everyone. And you could really see him up close and go, "Oh wow, he looks different. He looks." Different. 
It's a little harder from the vantage point now because you're further away. So uh, we're not allowed to gather there. You also can't compare as much just because we were in the press box for most of 2020. Like you weren't getting a practice comparison. So I don't feel like I can make a real judgment call like, oh, that guy looks bigger. But I did ask Todd Orlando. I was like, did you see any changes? And he mentioned Jamar Sakona. And then Clay Helton mentioned Jamar Sakona on Saturday. Shotgun, what do you have to say? Yeah, Sakona has come in, a guy from Marion Catholic up in, in Northern California, defensive tackle, didn't, you know, he got a couple of snaps, I believe, last season. Now, as a second year freshman, he's taken a jump in his game and, you know, he's transformed his body and that's, you know, put him in the mix to get some opportunities early this season. Brandon Peely has been out, uh, nursing an injury the first week. So you saw Jay Toya get some opportunities. You saw, you know, Jamar Sakona, those young guys getting in there and, and trying to make some plays. Jacob Lichtenstein also got an opportunity with Drake Jackson out. So, you know, you're seeing some guys on that defense line get some opportunities. Another guy that stood out to me as far as body is Katie Nixon, the wide receiver. I didn't recognize him when, when we got up. And, and I've seen Katie play, you know, multiple times, USC playing Colorado. I thought he was a running back because he looks so thick compared to what I remember him at, at Colorado. Uh, maybe it's just the colors different and, it, you know, he pops more in a, in a Cardinal jersey. I don't know. But, you know, he definitely, I was surprised, like 21 which running back is that? Is that Keontae Ingram? No, he's 25. Oh, that's that's Katie Nixon. He definitely looks like he's you know just thicker than what I anticipated seeing him at as well. We had a question from Mike on Facebook who said, who are the safeties on the first unit? Which is kind of a weird one right now. Because Isaiah Polamau wasn't there. Wasn't there on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he normally is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chase Williams has got some opportunities. Xavion Alford has got some opportunities. Um, Max Williams is at the nickel safety spot right now with Greg Johnson still being out after his surgery. So uh, there's, they're mixing and matching. Those young guys, the new guys that have come in, including Alford, but also, you know, uh, Anthony Beavers, Xavion um, Alford, uh, Zamarion Gordon, uh, and Kalen Bullock, those guys got a ton of opportunities in there as well. They're mixing and matching a lot with the, those first and second groups, uh, the, at least the practice that I was able to see on Saturday. So they're all getting some opportunities, and you know who's going to make the most of them? You know, it's interesting just seeing uh, 15 out there. It's a little Anthony Beavers is wearing 15 at the safety spot, and just being like that doesn't move like Talanoa Funga. That's a different body type, a little bit. Uh, but you know, a lot of those young guys are getting opportunities right now, and especially on Saturday when Isaiah was not there as well. Um, we had a question from, um, sorry, our thing froze. Uh, Kevin wanted to know how the running backs look on Facebook. I mean, hard to say. Just the, the team run period that they did, I believe, was over, um, you know, they did normally do is on Howard Jones Field. We saw a little bit of it, and that's a lot of times on the offensive line as much as, you know, rather than seeing as much from the running backs. So, I'm going to say you got to get a little bit more time to see them. Like I said, we did see some positive things from Brandon Campbell, saw some positive moves, making guys miss from Keontae Ingram. So I think those guys are going to be in that competition. I don't think it's just going to be a clear head and shoulders above uh, Vivai and Stephen Carr. Mm-hmm. We have a caller on the line, actually, so I'm going to go to him. I believe it is Ron from Santa Cruz. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello. Hello. Hey, Ron. Oh, hi. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to be on so soon. <laughs> I have a question about the lineman Vera Tucker. Whatever happened to him? He is on his way to the NFL first round. Um, he, he participated in USC's Pro Day last week and impressed a ton of people with how well he moves. Uh, looking at some of the clips, 
he looks like a linebacker with how well he was moving in some of the the bag drills and the cone drills. It, he's you know ridiculously athletic for a guy his size, and he measured and, and weighed well. So uh, I, I think he's going to be top fifteen, top twenty at worst probably. And we'll see how kind of the, the draft plays out. But that's where Elijah Vera Tucker is. He, you know he was dominant last year as a left tackle when you know he made the move from left guard and showcased himself at, that he could be play some tackle if needed in the the NFL. But right now he's the number one interior offensive lineman on the draft boards for most most teams. Mm-hmm. Mark on YouTube says, were you able to see O-line versus D-line one-on-ones from your vantage point? Any standouts? This is the one downside of uh, our new vantage point is because we could see the one-on-ones pretty well from where we were sitting in our little media pen, but now you need the binoculars for sure for They're this About portion. as far away as you can be, right? Yeah. They're the far corner of Bryan Kennedy Field. So there's a, essentially an entire football field between where we are and then the other field. Where the, and it's in, kind of in the back corner of the other field. So... It's pretty far away. We I didn't get to see much of that on Tuesday. There was no pads. Uh, but even the full pads Saturday, I'm sure you guys didn't get to see a ton. I know Chris Trevino was watching like a hawk. I believe he put some, some He put some notes in there yeah. for sure. Yeah, so if you if you want to catch up on that, you're going to need to be VIP because I was tracking the 7-on-7 seven seven that was going on at a similar time um, to, to be able to track the freshman quarterbacks and keep an eye on them as well. So Chris had the one-on-one, so he was looking through the binoculars and, and tracking that. So you're going to need to check in with him. Unfortunately, we don't have him on the show this week, but you know you can check out the ghost notes that, where he did track all those uh, reps and could give you a better idea. You, you just mentioning having him on the show. He just got like heart palpitations. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll ask him on the Family Feud podcast this week and get sure. his take on that. Check it out. Uh, Coley White says, the spring game is 13 days away. What is it going to be like an actual scrimmage? Shotgun, I think he wrote this specifically for you. Um, I, it's, I asked Clay Hilton about it and asked him, you know, what they could get out of it and kind of got a non-answer. He basically said that part of the reason why it's uh, in the middle of camp is because of TV and partly because the field is basically reserved. Uh, you know, the women's soccer team will be using the Coliseum at times and there's a international rugby team, I believe, that's coming in to use the, the Coliseum field as well. So that's partly the reason why the spring game is in the middle and Clay Helton has called it a spring. It's been called a spring game, and Clay Helton has called it a spring showcase. Yeah. So if they do what they did on Saturday, it's perfectly fine. You know, they still got. They were supposed to have a fifty-play, you know, portion of the scrimmage, and the, the I would have to count up the team portion, but it was basically four snaps for each quarterback, and then they would rotate. Um, but that's plenty fine. Now, I would love to see it in actual game format just to have that, again, the competition and play it out. But they got a lot of work in on Saturday, and they did a lot. So, you know, it it wasn't like it was a couple years ago where it was just – it was a glorified practice, their spring showcase. And if the glorified practice contains the physicality and the tempo that they had on Saturday, then that's fine. But, you know, a couple years ago, it wasn't – that wasn't the case. Yeah. So – I think it's something we have to watch and see. I'm, they haven't really stated whether it's going to be, you know, a game and certain referees out there and you know. Split it sounded it up. like it was going to be one of the scrimmage days. Yeah, it's going to be a yeah. scrimmage day for sure. There's supposed to be three scrimmages, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, three and I think days. calling it glorified practice is being a little generous. I don't know about glorified, but it was, it was a practice. But that was about it was it. glorified because there were cameras there. Okay, that yeah. was what that was what was glorifying it. And having, you know, Yogi Roth and whoever else, Mike M or whoever, talk about the players, glorifying the players at the time. So, yes, I would agree. I would definitely assess that as the correct 
uh, usage of my term there. But as right. far as the the the, <laughs> the substance of the practice, I wouldn't glorified would not have been my sure, descript, descriptive sure. term. It was it was just a practice, and then they you know it was just the same practice they have every time, and then they added cameras. Jasper Smith on YouTube says, speaking of the O-line, can you touch on Dylan Lopez, the decommitment? Kind of a mutual thing. Uh, I don't think USC was contacting him all that much uh, lately. So it's so, also a Drevno guy. Yeah. it's uh, You go from Tim Drevno to, to Clay McGuire, you kind of go in a different direction. A guy like uh, Mason Murphy, who I saw yesterday, I, I don't think you're going to see a decommitment there. Um, seems to be, you know, there's they're, both sides are kind of locked in, but you're going to have, when you get a new position coach, there's going to be some turnover. And so it's not a sky is falling. I'm this, this five stars decommitting from USC. Like that's, that's not the case. I mean, Mur Murphy's already signed, so he's not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, like, yeah. But with Dylan Lopez, to be honest, when he signed just his measurements and maybe they expected him to be a guy that could grow into his body a little bit more, didn't seem to fit with the other, you know, Clay Helton talks about, ad nauseum about we we recruit offensive tackle bodies well dylan lopez was basically being recruited as a center um you know he has a he's a shorter frame you know lighter guy so it was a little surprising that that was a commitment they took and you thought maybe that's something maybe it's kind of a combo attempt to get aj duffy you know who was also at rancho verde you know it was the the uh, offensive lineman for aj duffy so maybe you're trying to work that angle as well but uh, Lopez moved to IMG, and he said that he hadn't really been in contact with Clay McGuire after you know McGuire was hired. So that told you that USC was probably going in a different direction there. Speaking of center, I just want to mention quickly, what do you make of John Jonah Mon Monheim snapping? That's what's something that Graham Harrell highlighted the other day. I mean, it, I think it shows that he has the versatility to play anywhere on the line. Yeah. Uh, you, a lot of guys snap, like Elijah Vera Tucker, I talked to him in the past. He's like, yeah, I've done some snapping. You know, just in case you have the emergency sure. uh, that you need to make a move. Now, Elijah Vera Tucker wasn't moving last year, but maybe two years ago or three years ago, you know, if they have two guys that are kind of comparable at guard, you may throw somebody in it at, uh, as, an, as a center. Um, you got to have those emergency options because you never want to have – uh, you never want to have a case where you don't have a center and you haven't had someone who's practiced that. Yeah. But, you know, Nico Fala, that <laughs> yeah. UCLA game, was the four-string center, and he got thrown in there. So you got to have those emergency options at all time. And Fala came as a, as a tackle from St. John Bosco initially as well. So you you got to have guys that do that. So I don't read too much into it. We saw a lot of different guys that have snapped. Even last year in pregame, you know, when um, I believe Andrew Milik wasn't available. or Gina Quinones. Yeah, there, there was, you know, Andrew Milik did some snapping. There was someone else actually who stepped in and did some snapping just pregame. Just as an emergency, you got to have those guys ready. Yeah, makes sense. I just was curious. He doesn't seem like the guy to be that versatile to me, so I thought that was an interesting development. He's day. moving really well, um, and I expected him to be an interior guy, be a guard, uh, and I'm still, I still think that's where he's best fit. I think he can be a mauler on the inside, but I am curious to see how he continues to progress as his body kind of molds, and you know that's what you're seeing over the last year for him as well, and I'd like to see him – you know, because I've covered him multiple times in multiple different events, I'd like to see him, you know, face to face just to be able to assess how different his body maybe looks than, you know, when we saw him a couple years ago in high school. Mm -hmm. Mark Watkins on YouTube said, does Keenan Slovis lo still look like the guy that Graham Harrell described as having the best arm talent he's ever seen? At least on TV, his arm strength didn't look all that special during pro day. Like Shotgun said, I think he looked better, uh, at least at the first practice that I saw him. That one was sort of a... You had the true, true freshman in there, and it, it, 
I'm not going to say deer in headlights, but they definitely uh, were you know, struggling a little bit more where you have Keaton Slovis, who's done this before. It's not his first rodeo. I thought they threw the ball well from, from what I saw. And then, uh, you know, the other guys are going to be catching up. And, you know, I think they've already got better, but it was just that kind of first practice out of the gate. But, you know, Keeley saw him at Pro Day and put some footage up. You can see that. Mm -hmm. I think that was an improvement. I think practice might even be a little bit of improvement on that. We'll keep watching him to see, but it, it, it definitely looks different. And if you, you know, we've got to talk to Keaton Slovis, it seems like, you know, confidence was part of it. There, he's working with Tom House in that group. Uh, a lot of the stability stuff in his lower body, it's not necessarily, you talk about arm talent, I think it's still there, but maybe some of the stuff he was doing with his lower body uh, was sort of screwing up the sequence a little bit and you were relying on that arm talent uh, even more. So it seems like he's kind of put a little bit stuff together uh, and he seems to be, you know, I, to me, he's more in sync now than what we saw last year. Mm -hmm. We actually have a cameo in uh, the YouTube comments. Yogi Roth stopped by and said, Yogi. let's go. Amped to see the Trojans on the 17th. Lots to talk about. Fan of the show. Thanks for doing it. So thanks, Yogi. We appreciate you very yeah. much. Um, Shotgun, any questions that you want to jump in with right now? Uh, you know, someone asked, uh, SC Slot guy asked, can we get an early season prediction from the staff? Which, <laughs> if anybody knows me, that's way too far in advance for me. But uh, Yulai Lau asked not too long after that, how far can this O-line really take us? And I think that answers SC Slot Guy's question. I think this team has potential, and they're making the right strides as far as mentality, and you know, at least they're on a, the right trajectory as far as changing the culture around the team. Hey, it, it, and everyone you know, looks pretty until they get punched in the mouth, how you react to it. That, that definitely is, is true. But I think it all starts with the O-line. If the offensive line plays well, protects Keaton Slovis, then I think he's going to play with a ton more confidence this year, especially the work that he's put in with Tom House, the work that he's done with, with the, the three QB, uh, or I, I'm forgetting the name of, of the organization, but working with those guys to you know, create that stability and have more confidence in his arm. Well, you got to have confidence in the offensive line so you're not looking down and you're not worried about someone coming and hitting your arm again, which has happened has ended his season the last two seasons. You know, he's walked off the field uh, with, with assistance the last two years. So I, I think that's the real question. And it comes down to, you know, is Cortland Ford or Casey Collier ready to be a left tackle? And can those other four guys step up? They've got to play better than they did last year, too. We got a question from Dave on YouTube who says, are there refs at the practices and do you think that actually makes a difference? There have not been uh, – there wasn't any Saturday, I believe, right? There were on Saturday. Oh, there were Saturday? Yes. Okay, yeah. I do think it makes a difference. I mean, you see the players interacting with the officials, and it's sort of like a teachable moment a lot of times. So yeah. even just you guys are lining up on the line of scrimmage and the slot guy, he might be looking over, am I in the right spot? And the referee could say, you got to move back a little bit, whatever it is. There is some pretty good interaction when you have like a pass interference call and then there's arguments – and, you know, the referee can kind of give the explanation why they made the call. So I definitely think uh, it helps to have those guys out there. Especially in the one-on-ones, because I think some, well, there haven't been refs there. It's gotten so competitive that guys just get super handsy and kind of forget that penalties are a thing. Yeah. And so you learn to be competitive, but still make sure your hands are in check. And sometimes it's kind of like, uh, speaking of baseball, it's like umpire. You have to realize, hey, what's in the strike zone? Sometimes guys don't realize, hey, this is going to be called for a penalty in the Pac-12, and you need to adjust how you're playing. And so we've seen coaches kind of break that down when, when players have gotten a flag and don't understand why so it's it i think it definitely helps and you have to uh it practice always helps when you yeah. have it resembles the game more yeah i mean uh, it should help was usc like one of the worst teams in the 
country last year in penalties? Yes, but I think it, you know, on an individual basis, I, it's it's better to have them at practice than to not. I would think. No, it's definitely better because you know we just come off the college basketball season where you can hear everything, and you know uh, Chris Trevino brought this up on the Family Feud Pod a couple weeks ago about how he never expected to hear and one yelled so much. <laughs> And I think if, you know, especially with new rules too, I think it's really important there. Like, okay, we're going to emphasize this. You got to, you know, you got to be able to change and sit, you know, the referee saying, hey, that's going to be emphasized more this year. So you need to go ahead and start making an adjustment to it. But for high school DBs in particular coming out in Southern California is known for high school DBs that hold and grab a lot. They get thrown a lot of penalties, especially in the Pac-12. So it's a learning experience. You got to have that learning curve. And for the referee to say, that's going to be called every single time. And, you know, because you see so many times, anytime a flag is thrown on DB, they don't think they made it, uh, they don't ever think that they have, uh, um, should be flagged for anything. What? What? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think for the referees to say, look, that's going to be called every single time, you may get away with that one type of thing, like letting them know, you yeah. know where it is, then you start learning, okay. If I keep my hand inside, they're not going to call it. Or if I get, if I extend my arm, you know, those type of you know, small things, because that's what a referee will tell you. Hey, I saw your arm extended, so that's going to be a call every single time on the offensive player for an offensive PI. Whereas if you keep your arm in and you chicken wing, you can get away with it. So those type of things, the small things, I think are key once you get in the season, so that you don't get a penalty in a key situation. So I don't like this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, considering they are both early enrollees and only three practices in. But Daniel said, who looks better, Jackson Dart or Miller Moss? I mean, we've all seen one practice. Everyone <laughs> in the, in the, on the yeah. show has seen one practice. Ryan saw one with no pads on. We saw one where they were rotating in. If you want an assessment of the one practice I saw, like I said, I thought Jackson Dart was better just because he didn't throw the interceptions that Miller Moss did. Ryan may have a different opinion of his one practice, but one practice does not mean anything in the long run for who's going to be the backup to Keaton Slovis. Yeah, that, I, it's just way, way too early to tell. But there were some good moments for both. I mean, I just reading through Chris Trevino's notes, uh, you know, I think Miller had a couple interceptions, but a bunch of touchdown passes too. Uh, there was, you know, there was runs of incompletions for all the quarterbacks, and then a bunch of you know good plays in the red zone. It's going to take a little more time than uh, you know, couple, you know, seeing like what like Shockett said, seeing one practice for each of us. Um, so our caller Ron, who asked the AVT question, actually had multiple questions, which I didn't realize. So apologies, Ron. He wanted to know about Keen Slovis mechanics. What have you seen from them, and and how do you think they've returned so far? That was his question. I mean, he talked about his mechanics, and it's uh, it's funny. I I was telling Keely about this. Like I took a golf lesson the other day, and. They fixed something in my lower body as far as like moving my hips where you think about your hands and, and your arms, but like really you're getting the trunk part, the, the bigger muscles in the right spot early. It kind of helped the entire sequence of my swing. And I think there's something similar going on from just from what Keaton Slovis was saying, you know, getting some of that lower body stability there and getting his feet in the right spot. If you do that, I mean, you can be Patrick Mahomes and you can throw off your back foot and have an amazing arm and, and put, you know, throw a dime. But, you, I mean, for most throws, you want to be in that right sequence and deliver a, a, a nice ball. And I, I feel like, you know, Tom House is a freaking expert on all this stuff. He's got a you know, big group of guys that work with him. And, um, you know, I think we're going to try to get some more information on exactly what's going on there. But from what Keaton Slovis was saying, it sounds like, that was something that sort of reset his brain a little bit and he got his 
lower body mechanics, and it, it really helped uh, you know, how he was delivering the football. So I, I'm expecting to see some better things from him. I don't know if you have any different thoughts, Shotgun. I mean, I, I talk with pitchers all the time where one small adjustment, I uh, just saw a pitcher this week, and he got shelled in, in a, pre, a recent start. He, he went back, watched some film, and said, oh, I see something that's a little bit different there. Let me smooth that out. And suddenly he was back, and he had better command, better you know, better consistency. And that's what the mechanics is about, is creating consistency. So then when you do roll out and you, you, know, you make that Patrick Mahomes type of throw, well, your mechanics are already there, so you're getting the same throw. Even if your legs are in a different spot, then, hey, your upper body is still uh, consistent. Or even if you're throwing and you make a late decision to throw it one another direction, well, your legs are still in the same spot that you anticipated, and then it's on your arm to, to be able to put it there. So it's about creating that consistency so that when you do have to go off platform, then your body is already used to it, and you're not having to make corrections along the way on that throw. Now, you're going to make an adjustment, but you're not making a correction. And that may be hard to kind of um, fully understand there, but you know that's what I think it is. When you create the consistency of mechanics, when you throw something bad, you know, I actually talked about this with Miller Moss at, at one point in his high school career was, you know, talking about mechanics and, you know, we, we kind of discuss it like, you know, uh, a baseball pitcher. But when you do something enough and you have the, the reps on it and you've done it so much, when you make a bad throw and it comes out and you go, OK, I know why that was bad. Let me make the adjustment the next time around. And it doesn't become a consistent thing and you don't have to wait until the middle of the week or the next day and go, why was it? Why was this wrong? You can make the correction on one play rather than you know needing to go see film, wait until halftime or something like that to for someone else to tell you. You know all those type of things. It's just all about creating consistency, and it all starts with having the consistent mechanics so that the throw is coming out the same every time. Facebook, if you want to get on the question, love, I am monitoring, so be sure to do that. We have a couple questions. Uh, Gary, I'm going to mon modify your question just so we don't repeat, but uh, Chaka, what's the timeline uh, to get another offensive line uh, transfer out of the transfer portal? I think it could go all the way up until fall camp, basically. You know, the, the guys that are coming in, like Taj Washington right now, he's not going to come until the summer or, you know, fall. Uh, they're they're not going to come right now during the spring just because it's not an enrollment period. So you're going to actually wait. The biggest window and the biggest opportunity for, for someone to jump into the portal will be after spring ball. Because, like I said, someone may feel like either they either a new coaching staff came in and you said, all right, I'll give them a chance for the spring, and you just don't feel it. Or you feel like you should be the starter and you know someone jumps over you or whatever it may be, and you decide, you know what, let me look somewhere else. Let me finish it. A lot of times, let me finish off my career you know, as a grad transfer. Um, or... If you're dominating in the spring at a lower school and you had a really good season, you go, maybe it's time for me to test myself, you know, at the next level. And so and maybe you move up from a, you know, an AAC school like Taj Washington did to a, a Pac-12, a Power 5 conference. So those are the type of situations. But I think after the spring, spring ball ends is when you'll see a, a period of transfers. Uh, and then there'll still be some that trickle along because you just never know when what people's life circumstances change. USC sort of missed the early window because of the offensive line coaching change. There's mm -hmm. another window, though, so yeah. there's still an opportunity, but it's not going to be till after spring ball. Mm -hmm. David on Facebook wanted to know, how are the linebackers doing and who has stood out early? I mean, Raymond, again, Raymond one... Scott had the interception, but I thought Kanai Malga made some plays on Saturday. He filled the hole really well on a couple of them. Uh you know, they are really thin at, at inside linebacker right now as far as just having injuries there. Uh, but 
you know, just they, just, they don't have a ton of bodies. Julian Simon's a guy that I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on throughout spring camp. I think that he could have a, a really good spring camp. And I think Chris Torino picked him as his, his breakout player for the, the spring camp as well. So uh, he's one to keep an eye on, but it's just kind of limited numbers. So it's Raymond Scott and Kanai Malga are getting the, the majority of the first team reps. And then you got some walk-ons and, and, young, and newcomers at, with the second and third groups. It's tough with Jordan Isafa and uh, Solomon Tuila-Pupu on Rehab Island. And, yeah. and obviously no Palaye, no Hitota either. So. We did get a question. Are there any updates on EA? I've not heard anything new. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect him to be coming back, but I haven't heard where he's going to go at this point. Mm-hmm. What was Raylan Goforth? Was he? Was he? Out he's there? in the the health and safety protocol. Yeah, so, okay, so he's the yeah. Mm-hmm. They haven't. Did they really announce that there was COVID stuff, or is it just where that's what we're reporting? That's something we put in the war room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's, yeah, but he Clay Elton said health and safety protocols. Right. You can kind of assume what that right. means, but yes. Yeah, so we'll see when it's those guys get back. He, yeah. yeah, he's not in there right now. And they're not on rehab island. Chris so. Steele, yeah. you know, Brew McCoy, uh, Drake Jackson. Those guys just aren't at practice right now. So uh, we're waiting to see when they will actually be back. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we got to this one. Dave Rice wanted to know, will there be a spring game at the Coliseum and is it open to the public? Will it be a game or just the quote-unquote showcase with a game-like feel? Don't know the exact details of it. DVD, it, it I is going to be at the Coliseum as far as I understand. Um, and that's part of the reason why it's in the middle of, of practice so they can actually be at the Coliseum. Fans, you know, that's going to be up to local restrictions and stuff. You're starting to see... There's starting to be some schools, some high schools have allowed family and friends, but it's going to be, I'm not, don't expect it. It's what, in two weeks? So don't expect it. Yeah, they, I thought there was a chance. Uh, I mean, I've been to, I don't know, the high school games you went to. St. John Bosco had visiting fans in the stands and, you know, and they Sierra had Canyon, home, you know, home fans too. Sierra Canyon was actually at St. John Bosco in week one. I was there for that one. I think they could pull it off. My gut is they're going to say, like, friends and family of the players can go. I hope that's the case just because I felt bad. Like, family members were in my mentions after Saturday's practice and were like, oh, I was so jealous that you could see it. I'm like, that sucks for them. You know, I just feel right. bad, you know. Well, there's not really a big op- – there's not a great opportunity. You can't, like, oh, uh, your dad's going to sit here. You're Like, for the Coliseum, you can space it out, you know. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they could pull that one off. And the fact that they put the media thing together, I, I think they could do it. I they could probably have fans in the stands for this one too, but because we're getting it's it's pretty close right now, and there's probably some protocol. There's probably so much bureaucracy that you got to go through. I think they could pull off though the the friends and family kind of thing. The fact that that other stadiums are open to a limited capacity makes that a possibility. Talking about Dodger Stadium, Angel Stadium, those type of stadiums. So there there is the window there. If if it's going to happen, you'll hear it this week. Uh, I don't think they would wait until next week leading up to it and then suddenly kind of spring it on. But like, hey, we finally got it cleared. Um, so I, I think you'll hear something this week if, if it is going to happen for the general public. So apparently they don't have approval from the county yet for fans. Mm-hmm. So there's the latest update on oh, that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I want to know, Ryan, what did you make of Tyler Vaughn's pro day performance? Yeah, I mean, I, I never thought he was going to be like a – through the roof combine numbers guy, but he's going to do what he did in college and make plays. He's going to high point the football. He's going to run good routes. He's going to look smooth. And uh, I think he's got a lot of catches at his USC career. I mean, you're going to be basing most of that on your resume. Um, I don't remember what he ran there, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a blazing 40 time or something. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but no, I, yeah, I, I think he's, 
I don't think he hurt himself. He's going to, you know, he's got tons of film and uh, some, you know, I think a team was going to look and go, you know, I think we can uh, use a guy like TV. So, yeah, I, I don't think it hurt him at all. I don't think it was something that he, he was like eye, you know, eye popping off the charts kind of stuff either. Well, we had an update as well from Elsie Eccles, Hunter Eccles' dad, that the parents will know this week it's a good chance that they will be able to attend. So we'll see. Hmm. Pretty smart sometimes. See? <laughs> I don't know if LC, LC, you may have to watch the replay. Uh, uh, Grandma got a, got a shout out earlier. In the yeah, show. we gave a shout out. So look at that. Uh, we had a question from Epic ba Bass, I believe, or Bass. Maybe he's a fisher. Uh, do you think that we have a better chance at a bowl game this year because the team is better and why? That's the question. I read it verbatim. A, a better chance. Well, would have been a bowl game this year. The 20, well, 2020 would have been a bowl game. You know, it was a 5-1 season. Uh, yeah, I, I think if you're shooting for a, a bowl game, that's not enough. Like, you, you're shooting for a Pac-12 championship. You're shooting for a New Year Six Bowl playoff or bust. Like, that's, that's what you have to shoot for. Like, going to... Uh, the holiday bowl is not good. That means that it's not a successful season, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that they will be in a bowl game. Uh, yeah. Because the, the COVID restrictions are easing, and it seems like we're moving in the right direction with that as a nation. So I think that, yes, USC will participate in a bowl game this year if, if they uh, are asked to participate. Phil said, do you guys think Keenan Slovis will be a first-round pick in next year's NFL draft? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Last year, I would have said, "Yeah, I can definitely see that." There's a lot of talk about that, um, but he's got he's got to bounce back. You know, he, did, he had a rough year last year, a sophomore slump. Now, as a third year sophomore, can he have a sophomore breakout again? Yeah, I think he will. I think he's going to be a first round draft pick. I think he's going to put up some big numbers this year. So that was, to me, that was more of a, a weird pandemic anomaly. That you know, his numbers were still pretty good. It wasn't like they were terrible, but they weren't what they were as a freshman. So I, I think he's going to get back to that form. In the same vein, 1960s kid said, any concerns about Slovis's arm, given what we've seen so far in practice and at pro day? Now he talked about the arm fatigue stuff and all that seems better now. So no, I don't, I don't have any concern about his arm. I feel like the fact that he addressed it head on and was yeah. like, Hey, I didn't feel as confident in my arm. And I went to a, a QB coach and I know what's up now. And I feel more confident. I think that's the best sign you could have, because if you have some oversight as far as what you're doing, it will it will help you. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, we had a question from Daniel who said, could we possibly see Josh Jackson getting a starting spot? I don't think this year you'll see that unless there's an injury. I think Chris Steele and, and Isaac Taylor Stewart, I think, is playing with a different at a different level than he was, with a different vigor even uh, than he was previously. So I think maybe he kind of sees – a lot of times you get to that third year and you feel like, all right, you know, if I want to go in the NFL, you know, or sometimes it's the fourth year. Guys didn't get to go in their third year when they thought they would be a three and done guy. And the, you know, they just take their game to another level. You saw that with Emon Marshall, his senior year. I think Isaac Taylor Stewart, and granted it's one practice, but I think that he, after the, the injuries that he's gone through the last couple of years and being the backup, I think he's taking his game to another level. SC slot guy says, shotgun, way too early bull prediction? <laughs> I just threw that in just for you. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe the Vegas bull. Just, I don't even know what number uh, in the pecking order, but that would be fun just because it would be the inaugural one and they're playing the SEC team there, the Pac-12 is. But I don't think that's the bowl game that USC would want to be in because I think it's like the four, third or fourth Pac-12 yeah, team. Yeah, that would be no bueno. But it's still going to be an interesting one. So 
Yeah. I'll be watching that one. Pac-12 Final, versus SEC. Sorry, Shotgun. Final question, unless there's any uh, rapid fire that come in that are intriguing enough or any that you want to throw in, Shotgun. John on YouTube says, what's the word on JT Tuimoloau? Still waiting to, to take some visits, and we think those official visits are finally going to happen in, in June. So I, I think he's kind of waiting out the process. He's waited this long, so I think he's going to wait it out. But uh, also on JT Tuimoloau, he's a beast. <laughs> He's a defensive tackle, yes. but just watch his highlights on offense when he's playing tight end and just shucking people and throwing them out here like they're like nothing. Corn? Yeah, just <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. I just want the colonels. I don't want any husks around here. Oh, um, well yeah, so he, he's been terrific uh, in his season with up in Washington, so check out his highlights. He's a freak. Uh, if they could pair him with Corey Foreman, you're talking about an elite pairing that could take your defense to a completely another level for the next couple of years. We got a comment from Clemson Tiger fan who said, I'm drinking. How did I end up here? Well, thanks for stopping by, Clemson yeah, Tiger fan. Maybe it's because you went to the sermon this morning where they were talking about commitment in upstate South Carolina and were showing pictures of Corey Foreman and other players that had decommitted from Clemson. <sighs> Yikes. Yikes, yikes, that's yikes. Your, that's your Easter service? Come on, upstate South Carolina. Yikes, Do yikes, better. yikes. David on Facebook said, uh, what will be the position of need for USC in 2021? It starts with the left tackle. We'll yeah. see where they're at there, and then then we'll assess any other positions. It all starts with left tackle. Yeah, it's left tackle, left tackle, go left tackle, and then after that, we'll figure it out. <laughs> all righty, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? one up? We get to go back to practice. Very exciting. Uh, for, uh, <laughs> I, What's that dance, Ryan? I don't know. Just it up. <laughs> uh, give a shout-out to the Pac-12 as a whole. Uh, Stanford beats Arizona in you know a very competitive one-point uh, women's basketball championship game. Pac-12 in the men's basketball uh, tournament was fantastic, getting three teams in the Elite Eight. Uh, UCLA, you know, an epic game against Gonzaga. You know, I'm sure USC fans were still happy to see Gonzaga win that game. Uh, but, you know, USC, Elite Eight run, first time in 20 years, second time in 60 years. So the Pac-12 as a whole, can you, can't, can you carry that momentum over, one, with hiring a Pac-12 commissioner, but uh, also into the football season and, and see some positive steps there to regain your status as a Power Five conference? Because right now it's Power Four and, you know, Pac-12 is a little bit further down. And they're kind of in their own class above the mid-majors, but, you know, not really in the Power Five conferences. Real quick for you guys, put your fan hat on. Maybe some of the people in the comments want to, too. We saw USC lose to Gonzaga. We saw UCLA lose to Gonzaga. Would you rather just know you're going to lose the game and you're like, yeah, this is over. We're losing. They're good. Whatever. Or, holy crap, we're going to win this game and then... Boop, and just get your heart absolutely ripped out of your chest at the last second. If I'm a fan watching the game, uh, we'll take away the teams. Um, yeah, yeah, just but in general. If, if that situation happens, I would rather lose early. Yes. No, because the heartbreak, because I'm rooting for, for Georgia growing up and then seeing them lose on, at a yard line um, to Alabama in the SEC Championship, knowing that they were whoever won that game was going to beat the crap out of Notre Dame. That's for you, Coley. Uh, but <laughs> that it was going to happen. It didn't matter who won the game. It, that was the national championship. That was kind of uh, unfortunate, unsettling. Watching the Braves uh, year over year, watching the the uh, them lose in the World Series multiple times, watching the Rays this year against the the Dodgers. Yeah, I would rather not have my heart broken. I would rather just just know it. See, here's the thing. 
I will get destroyed either way. So why not have the game at least be like enjoyable and then get destroyed? Because the thing I hate most in sports is when there's this like anticipated matchup and then the first two minutes you're like, okay, this is done. So like, the USC Gonzaga game. Pretty much. But like you just it just takes the wind out of the sails. You look forward to a game all day and then that happens and you're like, well, what now? True. You know? Break my heart. Break my heart in a good way. You could say it's still enjoyment, knowing like, okay, well, we're not. I, you know, we don't have to no. worry about this one anymore. No, it's like, but the enjoyment, factor. especially in a tournament setting, you have to see these players play when they know they're going to lose. Like, no, I, I would rather the opposite. I to, guess. to be honest, I thought that the USC Gonzaga game would play out more similarly to the UCLA Gonzaga game. I thought USC would be in that one, and if they would have taken care of the ball early, maybe they would have been since they played pretty even with Gonzaga after the first eight minutes, but you can't wait eight minutes before you start playing against the number one team. I thought UCLA played great, and you know both teams shooting almost 60% in that game. How much fun was that game to watch just because insane. both offenses were, were making – terrific shots over and over and over. It wasn't like everybody was wide open. They were making a ton of, of great plays in that. And you saw a little bit of that from USC throughout the tournament, or you saw a lot of it actually throughout the tournament. But that's what that's why I expected the USC-Gonzaga game to be like that. The way they had played against Kansas and, and Oregon, they have been making shots, didn't do it against Gonzaga. But hell of a run for, for USC basketball to make it to the Elite Eight in you know, such a weird season with a team that they cobbled together basically, said, hey, we got Evan Mobley and we got Isaiah Mobley returning. What else can we put around it? And went out and found some transfers. And it's just it's very rare that something like that would work. But in this weird season, it did for USC. And give a lot of credit to the coaching staff for finding the right pieces. Now they're going to have to go to the transfer portal and go find some more pieces for next year's group with Evan Mobley being gone and possibly a couple other pieces. Well done. Way to work in basketball, Shotgun. Good job. I thought we were going to. I mean, I, I – I... A lot of time it's for true, it. It's true. I'm we, sorry. We didn't actually get many questions about it, so yeah. yeah. So it's partly on you guys. It's tough with the you know the turnovers, offensive rebounds early. Yeah. You just sort of got you know blitzkrieged by uh, Gonzaga, where where UCLA pretty much played like besides the foul trouble in the first half, played about as well as you could play against Gonzaga, and was still down. You know, so but they they had to kind of play the whole time like their game, and and UCLA did so it was. Heartbreaker yeah, the, uh, for that one. The biggest difference in the two games was that UCLA made shots. USC didn't. You know, Both teams took pretty good care of the ball. USC, after that, they only had 10 turnovers in the game, which seems surprising with how much they turned it over early. Right. But that initial burst... You know, the game was already out of reach pretty much before anyone, you know, it, it's kind of like the, the early Mike Tyson fights. If you got up to get popcorn and stuff, you know, during the first round thinking that you were going to get, you know, 14 rounds to watch and you were like, wait, what? Are we pay pay-per-view for this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Those offensive rebounds were just, I mean, just like they never got a stop. Gonzaga yeah. misses a shot and then they just got the ball back and put it back in. Yeah, so, it was so. pretty disheartening early for USC and they finally settled in and the defense started playing better. It was, it was pretty much, the difference is, and... We, Keely and I talked about how difficult it was to prepare for USC's length and their defense in a short turnaround in the, like the NCAA tournament provides. And I thought Gonzaga had a little bit of difficulties with that, particularly in the second half um, when USC was back on defense. But getting, getting adjusted to Gonzaga's pace and how fast they are back up and down the court was what USC in that short turnaround couldn't make the adjustment to either. So I think UCLA having three days rather than just one, I think that helped them a little bit with that. And they did a better job of getting back and stopping some of those fast breaks that USC couldn't. Mm -hmm. Julio really wants us to answer his question, so I'm oh. going to ask it. He says, what record do you think, think it will take to fire Clay Helton? A question we've heard before. I mean... I've never been right, right? Like we just felt like, you know, five and seven was like a no-brainer. Then you realize, oh, he's got this really 
this contract that's going to be impossible to get out of. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's about record. I think it's just more about my personal opinion, been wrong before, is USC has to win the Pac-12 championship uh, if you think that you're going in the right direction. Like, winning the South is not enough. So I'm not sure what the record is, but I think you have to win the championship uh, if you want to guarantee coming back if you're Clay Hill. Now, that would be my personal opinion. That's not source. That's, that's just what I think. If they have a losing record, he'll be gone. But now that it's closer to the end of his contract, but I don't think they're going to have a losing record this year. So it's going to no. be it's going to be interesting to see yeah. how that kind of plays out. Um, and Mark, on our topic of the heartbreaker versus the blowout, said the 2006 Rose Bowl still hurts to this day. So don't ever want something like that again. That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. Maybe this is uh, showing that my teams have never really done anything worthwhile <laughs> lately. That might be a, a sign of that. But I, I mean, for USC fans, anytime you see an image of Vince Young, it kind of still pains you, right? So I can't talk about it with my roommate who's a diehard USC fan. So, but like, if you're an <laughs> Oklahoma sense. fan and you see like Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush, you're just like, yeah, that wasn't fun. But it wasn't like, oh, it was right there. It was just like, yeah, they were just better. Um, USC looks at that game like. I think the USC was a better team, and Vince Young still like put put them on their shoulders and uh, ran over the Ting brothers and, and scored a touchdown. So, After yeah. his knee was down, Ryan, there was knee was down. <laughs> <laughs> Which, <laughs> ask Matt Liner, it still hurts him to this day as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, when Lendell White came on the podcast and said his knee, <laughs> you know, funny. his knee was down, and then I think Ray Troy picked it up and they were playing. Like, Can we play that drop for your podcast? Like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> uh, Ryan, we also had some complaints. No food analogies from you in this episode. Oh, too well, late. We're done. I just <laughs> ate. I went fishing today and had fresh fish, which was great. And I brought some in for Keely. So maybe because I just Delicious. ate before I got here, my food was like, he was, you know, he was settled. I'm in a food coma a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. No food analogies today. Well, you'll work on it, Ryan. Yeah. You'll practice. I mean, you don't have to bring it every week. But, sure. Uh, it has to be organic, guys. Yeah. Um, alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. We'll be back next Sunday. We'll have more football to talk about. Very excited to do so. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. See ya.